the craziest thing that William said to me that was just so impactful was, do you know how a child spells love? And I was like, no, he said T-I-M-E. And man, it was really impactful six months in, but it's way more impactful three years later. Cause now, you know, when Ellie comes home and he walks through my office door, he knows how to say, daddy, stop working. <laughs> he says that to me, it breaks me. It breaks me in half because I wish that I could sit here on this podcast on a sanctimonious level and be like, and you know what I do every time stuff? I close my computer right away. It doesn't yeah. matter. And I go, but I don't do that every time. I sometimes tell them I need to finish this thing. Or I have to finish. I have a call to do. Or I have, you know, I feel bad about that, to be honest, but I know I'm doing my best, you know, and, yeah. and that's the, I really am doing my best. When it comes to building a business empire online while intentionally cultivating a thriving life at home with kids, well, there is no roadmap. It's not easy. But the great news is we're not alone. We live in a crazy world that is truly unlike any other time in our history. And if you're like me, you've got an impact of your own to make. But you're not willing to sacrifice your relationship with those that you love in order to get it. My name is Stephanie Dove Blake, and this is the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast, where we'll journey together to learn what it means to be a truly powerful parent. Let's go. Welcome back to the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast. I am here today with the ever infamous Alex Schlinsky, and I'm so excited to have him on. I consider this man a friend, but also a mentor in the agency space. He is absolutely incredible. But one of the things I love the most about Alex is that um, he's not all business. He is even more so, I'd almost argue more heart, and he lets the heart guide what he's doing in business, and, and he's fierce about it. Alex, just thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to dive in with you. Steph, I appreciate you. Uh, I've been listening to each of the pods. They're amazing. You're doing such a great job and uh, really, really honored to be a part of this, especially as a newer dad. So excited. Yeah. So tell me about that. Tell everybody how many kids you have and how old he is and all that good stuff. Yeah. So my my little one is Ellie. Uh, he is going to be three in February, um, which is super exciting. Uh, the last uh, three to four months have been incredible as comprehension um, has exploded in terms of his intellect, his ability to put sentences together, uh, to remember things from the day prior, which is really exciting, uh, to remember things that are upcoming, which is really exciting, um, and just uh, communicating at a much better level. His tantruming has also gone a little bit down over the last couple of months, where there was kind of a, a heightened amount of tantrums the six <laughs> months prior to that. Yeah, but yeah, it's been a, it's an amazing journey. And it's it's just the best thing ever. Oh, man, that's awesome. And he is absolutely adorable. I get the honor and the privilege to get to see him at events. And he's just amazing, as well as your wife, Shira. So I really want to dive in with you, because one of the things that uh, I think really sets you apart is some stories that you tell and you talk about that really kind of cut away all the chaff or the the fluff from life. And I think that's really important. And I, and I think that there's not a lot of voices that are trying to do that because uh, typically in life or in business, we have a lot of the hustle culture, if you will. And you literally wrote the anti-hustlers handbook. I want to ask you why, why, and I know that it relates to your story. So I'd love for you just to tell us your story and why it's so important to you to be successful, but have an anti-hustlers mindset. Yeah, so I really appreciate you kind of uh, leveling that up and, and and kind of giving me the the softball here to kind of knock it out for all of you. I, I think the reality is like in life, particularly for entrepreneurs, um, we live in a society that is just talking about more for the sake of more. When people, you know, you ask anyone if they want to make more money, pretty much 99% of people will say yes. Doesn't matter how wealthy they are or what they've even determined as wealth, you know, it's just assumed based off the culture we're in. And so because of that, the majority of material that you see online for, you know, podcasts and books and uh, coaches and YouTube videos, it's always about side hustles, do more, work harder, work more, wake up earlier. Um, if you're not making this amount of money, you're, you know, bad dad or bad husband or bad partner, or you're weak minded. And it's just always more for the sake of more. Um, and ultimately, I really bought into that when I was younger, you know, I, I had a really skewed mindset around it. So uh, to put the cart before the horse here, um, I had open heart surgery to replace a bicuspid aortic valve that I was born with uh, when I was 29 years old, uh, when my wife was five months pregnant with 
Valley, which is a bad experience. Zero out of five stars. Definitely do not recommend it. Uh, when my son was born, um, I was not able to like hold him up to my chest uh, for about two months because I was still recovering from my surgery just like five-ish months earlier. So ultimately, the reason why I ended up having that surgery is when I was 18, so 11 years prior, uh, I was told that I had a heart murmur um, and that uh, you know ultimately I would have to have this surgery, but probably when I was 60 or 70 years old. Um, and obviously, because I told you already, I ended up having the surgery at 29. So why did it get accelerated so much? Like what happened? The reason was because ultimately, you know, I'd overworked, you know, because I thought I had a cap on my time, right? At 18 or 19 years old, I think the world is your oyster concept is really powerful for most young adults at that point. And they, you know, are very consistent on the idea of like, they want to either F around or they want to go like really hard to figure out their career. And I was kind of a mix of both until I found out about the heart problem I had. I think as soon as that happened, I was put into a reality of a morbid reality of, you know, a certain amount of time I have available for me. And so I, I thought, you know what, I got to do is work harder than everyone else. Instead of making it about me, I made it about everyone else that I have to work harder than them because I have less time than them. And so I worked really, really hard uh, for 10 years straight, um, just busting my ass basically every single day to try to create a business that would allow me to provide for my progeny and for my family. Uh, if you know, I had some untimely end, unfortunately, the realization I had was, you know, I actually caused the heart problem to worsen because through anxiety and stress and overworking and hustling, um, I caused the heart problem to substantially get worse to the point that I had to have the surgery at 29 instead of 70. And that experience was brutal. I mean, it was a really bad experience. And from that, I realized certain things that ultimately I wish I knew before, which was what is the concept of success? What is enough? You know, when is there appropriate time and place for work versus play versus relaxation. And I, I thought everything was just work for the sake of work, for the sake of work, for the sake of work. And everywhere you see it, it's it's omnipresent, not just in business, but in life and especially in the United States society. And everything is hustle culture. Everything is hustle culture. And so I thought the idea of providing a book and a resource that would be anti-hustle, but that doesn't mean don't work hard. It just means prioritize the things you want because hustle culture wants to dictate priorities based off of money alone, where I'd prefer to dictate things off of things I care a lot more about, like my child and my wife and uh, my mental health and those types of things. So that's like the the onus and basis of it. And of course, it, it goes deeper than that. But I, I think that's kind of the introduction as to why I developed the book. I love that. And I know one thing beyond just all of the awesomeness that you just talked about, you walked away from that experience with a gift of uh, or at least that I pick up from you is that, you know, life is finite. Yes. We need to capture it and live it the way we want to live it in the now and not for the later. Can you talk to me about why you walked away with that gift? Because it literally, Alex, is infused into everything that you do as far as, you know, making sure we're looking at life in the light of the fact that you just don't know. And so I know that experience gave you that gift, but it was also had to do um, with your father as well, right? Right. So it was even, you know, before I had my own health scare, you know, my dad um, had a pretty severe health scare when I was a freshman in high school. And I actually, you know, levied his story as my initial mantra for developing my business before my story became obviously the the easier one to point to as the North Star, you know, having surgery when your wife is pregnant uh, before your first child. Um, but prior to that, my my story was very much so based off of my dad. And instead of learning the anti-hustle way, that was the opposite of what I learned. I learned uh, the systems method, right? Like how to develop systems. Because when I was a freshman in high school, um, my dad had a massive uh, catastrophic stroke. Um, thank God he is alive and well today. And uh, he's made it through and he gets to spend time with me and his grandson, which is the best thing in the whole world. Honestly, there's nothing more powerful than that. Um, but you know, when I was 14 years old, I thought my dad was a superhero. Mm. I had never been touched by any sort of uh, mortality in my life at that point. You know, thank God my mom, my two brothers, myself, um, our nuclear family and our cousins and rest of family were all fine and safe. The majority of my friends that I grew up with, you know, had both parents and everything was good and safe and fine and healthy. And so I think having that creates an ignorance of what life really is, which is finite. And, um, you know, I, I remember when my dad got sick, there was a pretty immediate question of whether or not he would ever be the same person again. <clears throat> you know, he couldn't talk really for the first couple of weeks after, couldn't walk, he couldn't communicate well. Uh, you know, he, he had to quit his job. Wow. You know, ultimately, like, 
he was uh, providing so much um, for you know our family that I quickly realized without him there was no way to provide and and ultimately we we recognized like some of the the lessons we had to learn really hard which was you know you got to have systems you have to delegate you have to build a team and that was the lesson I took instead of like the fi- finality of life um, because I, I think what I recognized was you know two years later when my dad was back to essentially full health um, I was just so grateful that he was alive. And it, it just made my connection with both my parents way stronger and uh, desperately made me want to become a father because uh, my parents are the shower with love type of parents. But the coolest part about that is not just to me and my two brothers, but to everyone. Wow. My parents are believers that everyone is is their child, right? And I don't mean in a religious sense, because I think a lot of people take that in a religious sense. They mean that in a biology sense. Everyone's going through something everyone is challenged in some way. Everyone just needs a smile, a helping hand, a little bit of care, a little bit of love, um, a hug every once in a while. You know, my mom is the epitome of like best friends to a stranger. She would just spark up a conversation with any human being about anything um, and just go deep on it so fast. And it's such an incredible skill that I've been, thank God, blessed with um, that has really made a massive difference in my life and my career, which I'm so grateful for. And something I really want to teach uh, to you know, my son, my children, and and my wife, and my community, um, and it's something I, I bring with me every day. You know, I think in retrospect, Steph, I wish I learned the anti-hustle lesson from my dad, but I think I had to deal with it myself. And it's kind of these progression of lessons. But to me, the the biggest bridge between the two lessons wasn't that I had to learn how to delegate or create systems. Because the crazy part was when I got sick from my business, if if God forbid I had passed away, the business would be able to have run because I did learn the lesson of what had occurred to my dad. But that didn't matter to me because I didn't care about the business. The only thing I cared about was I really want to meet my child. I really want to spend more time with my son. I really want to be able to uh, spend more time with my wife. I want to spend more time with my community. But the really most important thing was making sure I could just get to the other side. And so the bridge was what success meant, right? I remember when I was younger, before my dad got sick, like I was 10 years old, I grew up in a Jewish community. We would go to a temple every Saturday, be a 25 minute walk. And, uh, you know, there's some stereotypical things uh, that people think about Jews, like about wealth and about, you know, their accountants or they, you know, they control the media or they, or they, uh, you know, are bankers or they're lawyers or doctors. And some things are relatively true. And most of it's kind of inflation of what the reality is. But, you know, we were middle-class family. My dad was a, you know, funeral director for 20 years. He quit that job to become a financial advisor. Uh, my mom owned a art studio um, by herself. She had over a thousand students for two wow. decades, which is incredible. And why I became an entrepreneur is because of her. But I remember walking and I had an audacious question. Um, that I asked my dad, I was probably 10 years old, seeing a house, huge house, multi-story house, um, beautiful cars in the front, had a fountain in the front of the house. And I remember my asking my dad, like, why are you not as successful as so-and-so house? And, uh, you know, in retrospect, obviously quite a disrespectful question, but it, it was meant truly in the most earnest way. Just like, why? Like, genuinely, I don't understand what being an adult is because I'm 10 years old and I want to understand why, because I know you want this. Like for us, why? And I remember my dad's reaction and still sticks with me. Like I could be in the moment right now, Steph. I remember it clearly. We stopped walking. He put both his hands on my shoulders. He looked me directly in the eyes and he said, I'm the most successful person in the world, Alex. And even at 10 years old, I don't think I understood what naivete meant, but I think I understood the concept of what being naive was. And I thought at that point, like, oh, my dad's pretty naive. Again, I didn't have the construct of that word, but I got the concept. He continued and he expressed, like, I'm the most successful person in the world because of you and your two brothers. Wow. I'm the most successful person in the world because of my beautiful wife and your mom. I'm the most successful person in the world because of our community that cares about us. I'm the most successful person in the world because I have a job that matters and impacts people's lives. I'm the most successful person in the world because I have a roof over our heads and the ability to pay for food on our table and to provide for you. Nothing else had to be said. I understood right then and there a concept that I think uh, was far beyond my years of what my dad was trying to express to me, that wealth is not the determinant of a financial success. Success is determined by how you define it. And I think that is probably the most simple insight that I could provide to anyone uh, from this book, any parent. Uh, any entrepreneur, any person that has ever listened to this podcast or seen me anywhere, the concept of allowing you to dictate what success means 
not allowing social constructs to dictate what success means or your parents to dictate it or your peers, just you, because you get one shot at this, get one shot at this opportunity as someone that had that almost ripped away at 29 years old. And for many people who had someone that they cared about in their life that did have it ripped away, unfortunately, for whatever reason, right? You understand how finite this opportunity is. We need to take action on that and leverage it to make sure that we're developing and living our life to the best of our ability based off of our determination of success, not anyone else's. And I think that's one of the main keys that I learned from my parents. Alex, I see you as someone who is like going around and waking people up. Mm. I really do see that because I feel like a lot of people are asleep in their life, even though they can seem like they're the most awake person ever, full of energy, making things happen, doing all this stuff, but like awake to the reality that life is finite. We do age. And what was I was watching some movie Oh, I was watching What About Bob (laughs) this last weekend with my kids and I had a a couple kids over and we were watching What About Bob. And part of it, one of the sons is obsessed with death. Like he's Mm -hmm. just completely obsessed with death. He wears black and he's, he's struggling with life, right? Something obviously happened that made him become really aware. And he's laying in bed and he's like, we all are gonna die. You can't avoid it. You're gonna die. I'm gonna die. Like I'm going to die. And he just kept saying it. You're going to die. And it was comical in the movie. But the reality is so many of us don't actually live with that as a reality because it's heavy. It feels scary. It feels unknown. It's finite, right? Like it's the end. And so many people don't want to face that because of those reasons. I see you, you know, walking around kind of just jostling people like, what do you really want? Why are you doing this? I think the reality is also, Steph, like, I don't want that to be reality too. Like, it's easier subconsciously and like through an evolutionary concept to like push it aside. The way human beings act is that we are invincible in a morbid body. And I think that's the reality. Like, that's the way that human beings can essentially understand the dissonance of like this desperation for this future paced success and sacrificing so much of this finite time when you have no idea how long it is. I had this incredible honor, Steph, of speaking at Harvard about this um, a year and a half ago, which was super cool. And the experience that I was talking about was this concept of like you, we all have right an hourglass of how much time we have available, but we just don't know how much time we have available. And look, we all want to pretend that it's fairy tales. It's a happy ending. Like everyone is on their deathbed at, you know, hundred years old, surrounded by everyone they love and, and they have no regrets of life. And like, what is the percentage of that? It's like so small. And I already had that perspective because my dad was a funeral director. What I didn't tell you, Steph, is that my dad stopped being a funeral director because of having a young child uh, and recognizing the amount of people that had to bury people that shouldn't be buried. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you get the point, right? He had to do that every single day and then come home to me, all cheery eyed, recognizing that someone else's world has been destroyed irrevocably and never to be fixed. Um, Mm -hmm. And that sucks. That's terrible. And ultimately, people don't want to talk about it because they don't want that experience. But they have to wait until it happens firsthand. And it's like, why wait till it happens firsthand? It happened to me firsthand and it was terrible, but I got through it. I went to the other side. The thing that my dad kept telling me stuff before my surgery, because of some context for you that didn't, that don't know this, I had my surgery in October of 2020. Uh, the reason why was because in December 2019, they told me I had to have the surgery. This is how screwed my brain was at the time. My first big event for our company, Prospecting on Demand, was March 2020. Uh, so I was like, oh, can we schedule the surgery after the event? Yeah, I prioritized that oh, over oh. the surgery. Crazy. So we did the event. Great event. It was amazing. And then I was ready to have the surgery. And what happened? COVID. And so the doctors told me that no, uh, anything that's a non-emergency surgery has to be postponed. So I would wait 10 months from the day that they told me I had to have the surgery to having the surgery. The waiting was infinitely worse than the surgery itself, right? 99% of people at like 99.9 survive this surgery, but it doesn't matter because I'm the one having to deal with it. The statistic is irrelevant. I'm the one that has to deal with it mentally and emotionally to go into that and do it. The waiting was key. So the mantra my dad would keep telling me was, you're going to wake up on the other side. You're going to wake up on the other side. I remember waking up from the surgery. It was like being born. It was wild, totally Mm -hmm. crazy experience. And seeing my pregnant wife and saying, first thing in my mind, I'm on the other side, right? 
You don't have to wait for some experience to happen to you or to a loved one. You could just take it from someone that you're listening to, whether you've ever heard me speak on anything before, or I'm a complete stranger to you. Just let it be a wake up call. If you look in your phone right now and you have your mom's number and your dad's number and they're built, both still alive, you should be grateful for that. And you should yes. call them and you should tell them that and you should give love to them and to your loved ones and to your brother and to your sister and to your cousins and to your uncles and to your friends from high school they've even spoken about and throw away the petty shit that you're dealing with in your mind that doesn't matter because it all washes away. It all goes away. Steph, the amount of messages that I got the day before my surgery was insane. I've never received that amount of messages for anything I've ever accomplished in my life. And I'm grateful that I've accomplished quite a few amazing things. Um, you know, some of the, like the, the standard like hierarchy of things in life, like having a kid, getting married, buying your first home, having a successful business, like some of those things, none of those things mattered in the terms of Alex might die. Let me send yeah. a message of love to him. Right. Do you yeah. know how many messages I got? Well, more than 500. Well, more. Right. Just consider that for a second. You don't have to wait. Right. It's OK if you're afraid of it. Great. Awesome. Steph and I both pray for you that you will never experience any sort of horrible health ailment, you know, ever in your ever. life. Yeah. You die when you're 100 years old from old age. Unfortunately, that's not the reality of life. So what do we do about it? Do we just hustle our face off until we don't even understand who we are anymore. Do we prioritize the things we care about the most? If you're listening to this podcast, I assume that you care about being a better parent. The first step of being a better parent is to give yourself not a pass, but grace, not punishing yourself for the amount of time you're spending working and not the amount of time you're spending with your kid, but to realize how you're going to carve the time out to make it happen, to prioritize them. And that's what I work on every day. That is so powerful. And I want to step to the part where you talked about, I've been to one of your events and you did this exercise called giving your flowers and yeah. the concept. I'll, I'll let you explain the concept, but to live in the reality of just like you could have lost your dad. And I did lose my dad when I was a little girl. And then I went on to lose my mother in my early twenties, you know? And so just to to think about, I was just the other day, um, I was watching What About Bob? Like, so What About Bob was one of her favorite movies. And it seems like every time I circle back around to that movie and rewatch it, there's a different aspect that um, that I remember of her and kind of rediscover about who she must have been. Because there's a lot that I missed out on because I was in my early 20s. You know, how much wisdom do you have about understanding your your parent as an adult in your 20s, you're just barely an adult yourself, right? But in watching What About Bob, like there were these scenes where, you know, like there's one where Bob is eating chicken and he's sitting at the dinner table. My mom used to always joke, like, is it What About Bob good? Where you're like, mmm, mmm. And you're like, you're making everybody uncomfortable because you keep saying how delicious it is. And, um, you know, all these different moments. And it made me sit there and think about like, man, her laughter, and what it sounded like and trying to remember what her laughter sounded like. And then what did she smell like? Like, I don't remember. I keep a purse of hers and she had like a little spray. And it's literally been so long since she passed. It's 2009. That little spray, it probably is toxic to my nostrils, but I still open it up every once in a while and try to smell, you know, for those, like you said, who still have their parents here on this earth. And if you're listening to this, Look, me and my mom did not have a great relationship, actually. My mom was had been very sick. She'd been on a lot of uh, narcotics. You know, she didn't make the best decisions on those narcotics, which I, I can't blame her. She was trying to deal with chronic, horrific pain. And so there were boundaries that I had set whenever she passed where I had to have healthy boundaries with her. But like, no matter where you are, if your parents are still alive, even if the relationship isn't good, I don't think that you're going to regret having a phone call and keeping healthy boundaries, you know, and if you don't have any issues, like just calling and spending time and asking them to, you know, I have a stuffing recipe that I I had to figure out on my own for how my mom used to make her Southern stuffing, right? And I had to figure that out because I didn't have access to her, but that stuffing takes me back to my childhood, to her. Anyway, I want you to tell them about what it means to give your flowers now. Yeah. So, I mean, the concept is pretty interesting because you know, whenever a celebrity passes away, uh, either local celebrity, so like very commonly in like a religious circle, right? If if some like important person in the community passes away at like the next sermon or whatever, there'll be like a whole, you know, remembrance of them, right? So there's, of course, like local celebrities, and then obviously, like, you know, worldwide celebrities, right? So like, as an example, like when Kobe Bryant passed away, very shockingly, you know, like the next week and a half plus of media was just people giving their flowers, expressing stories, uh, love, appreciation to this person. The, the problem that I've always had with this is 
how many of those stories are withhold, withheld from the person when they were alive. And so these stories are shared to help people deal with tragedy, right? To deal with incredible challenging point of life that is just part of everyone's life, no matter what you do. I think the concept of like, what would they have thought of if they had the chance to see this and understand that? And so what we've come up with and what I do at almost every event, um, and I just did this at the high level event also, this, you know, they asked me to come speak and it was such a great experience to be able to do this in front of everyone. But, you know, I talk about this concept of expressing gratitude now, giving someone their flowers now, right? Because what we've identified is psychologically expressing gratitude and words of affirmation, it's literally scientifically proven to amplify positive emotions, to reduce stress and anxiety. It is a proven thing. And words of, you know, affirmation is my love language. I know that you're big on that book, but if your readers aren't, it's 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 a great book. You know, expressing gratitude and words of affirmation is also the fastest way to fill your cup for you and for the receiver because a powerful thank you, a powerful appreciation really just increases optimism, hope, compassion. And I know that all of us believe, you know, we can use that more in the world. And I refuse to allow someone to dictate like, oh, this is so esoteric. It's so woo-woo. It's like by doing that, you're undermining the impact that it can have to you individually. Mm-hmm. Create a mindset, a group think that this becomes not valuable. And so we become more Orwellian, become more uh, focused on less compassion, more rigidness, work harder, yell louder, Marine-like focus for every single person. The Marines are a small percentage for a reason, not Mm -hmm. everyone. And I think that's a really important thing that is kind of mislabeled, especially in entrepreneurship today. Like everyone wants to have a Marine-like mentality. It's like, those are one percenters, not 99 percenters. I think it'd be great if we had 99 percenters of love and compassion and one percenters of Marine mentality, I think we'd be in a lot better spot. (laughs) <laughs> Listen to David Goggins and they're like, I need to be like this guy. He's like, that's a one percenter. That's a one percenter. If I could interject there on one thing that I noticed, because I listened to David Goggins' book, and let me tell you, it was so inspiring. I listened to it in a period of time where I was like on this workout stint, which I need to get back on. Um, but he was so motivating, so inspiring. And I was like, okay, what is left in me that I could still give? Like, I'm always like, okay, if I'm here, I can go for five more minutes, or or I'll just say one more minute, one more minute, and I'll just keep doing it. So I found him so inspiring. But by the end of the book. I noticed one thing missing. What about his relationships? There wasn't much mention of children. There wasn't much mention of of that aspect of his life. And whenever I started digging, and I will say I did not do a ton of digging. I don't know where he is today, what kind of relationships he has. But I know at the point that he led up to in that book, it was a train wreck. Like it was a pure train wreck. And so again, goes back to what you're talking about. Is it more for the sake of more? Or is it because like, what what are your priorities? What do you want out of life? What do you really want? And don't get me wrong, David Goggins is an incredible human being. And I learned so much from him. I think that something whenever we look at life, we always want, you know, to get 100% in every pillar of life in finance in business itself, in our personal marriage in our our with our children, our family, with our relationships with our friends, we want it all to be 100%. But in reality, that's just not possible. It is not possible. Hey, powerful parents, Stephanie here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Did you know that statistics show that 88% of Americans say they eat dinner with their family every night or a few times a week? I think that's a pretty awesome stat. But if you're anything like me and you're an entrepreneur, then after a day filled of putting out fires and maybe various events, testing your patience, sometimes it's hard to think of questions that can help you really connect with your kids beyond the standard, how was your day? When my kids were just littles, I put together a list of questions to solve this problem and to help us have something to connect with over dinner time. And now I would love to share my curated dinner questions with you. This is good for littles and for bigs. There's lots of different varying questions in there. And these questions are going to help to ensure that the conversation is not just lively, but will bring you closer to your children while you enjoy a delicious meal together. As a listener of this podcast, you can get access to these questions at www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Once you're there, make sure to type in your best email and I'll have my team shoot over the questions for you. Once you get the questions, I encourage you to make this a family affair. Print them out. Have your kids help you cut them out. We even grabbed a mason jar, and my kids decorated it, and that's where we put all of our questions, and that same mason jar still sits on or near our dinner table to this day. We've been using these questions for close to eight years now, and I've really enjoyed the fun conversation and connection that's come from them. I hope your family enjoys them as much as mine have. Again, that's www.powerfulparentingtribe.com. Now back to the show. 
So you have to choose where do you want the success? Again, what does success mean to you, which is your mantra? If you don't define that, either because one, you're afraid you don't know, or two, you're afraid you'll never achieve it. I have answers for both of those. But the reality is, if you don't define it, everyone will define it for you, right? Yep. Either the people that you watch online, the material that you consume, your peers, the people that you're associated with at all times, your clients, your team. And then ultimately, you're just living a life on, on a current from the ocean instead of being the person running the ship, right? And like, don't you want to steer your own ship? Yes. Sometimes we want to be passengers, sure. But I'm not talking about you know, every once in a while. I'm talking about the majority of your life to steer the ship is so powerful, right? And in terms of the concept of like, I don't know what I want for my life. So how can I define success? I'll let someone else define it for me, or I'm afraid that I'll never achieve it. One, if you don't know, it just starts by doing deep work, right? It's just a lazy response to, I don't want to journal about what I want. Just write it down, right? And don't worry about trying to like solve world hunger if that's not what's important to you. And your answer right now is I want a PS5 because I'm 18 years old or 25 years old and I've never been able to buy it or I want the time to do it. You don't have to feel bad about the things you want. It's okay, right? You're allowed to like these things, to want these things, to want materials, to to want to impact your community, to provide back to your church, to care about people that are homeless. Like you can care about all of these things. You don't have to compartmentalize them or make them based off of like what you think other people will think. Just do the work because ultimately you'll get there by defining what you want. It doesn't just happen in one go. You're like, oh, well, 30 minutes later, I define exactly what I want in my life. Give yourself a little bit of grace here. Like take the time mm-hmm. to start it out. And then the concept of what if I never achieve it? The reality is people that I've worked with and myself included, you often put out these extremely lofty goals or aspirations and either you hit them, which would be fantastic, or oftentimes some of these lofty hags, as people call them, right? Big, hairy, audacious goals. Like inherently something to be big, hairy, and audacious inherently means that you won't achieve all of them. Because if you achieve 100% of them, they probably weren't audacious enough is what you'd hear. But is that like hustle culture speaking or is that not? And that's kind of, again, where definition comes into play. It's not like a collective groupthink definition. It's what you define. So if you've identified some massive goals, right? You say, I want to have a Ferrari, but you know, three years later, you end up having a, you know, a Range Rover, but you end up finding out you're the happiest you've ever been. This is the concept of like shooting for the stars, landing on the moon. No one can dictate for you how you should feel or what you should feel about it. It's you, your life. You get that choice. And I think that's really important. So just to circle it back all the way to the gratitude consideration that we were bringing up before about, you know, being more loving, giving more love, giving more flowers. I think doing this as a community in terms of the community being human beings, parents, like would make a huge difference. And ultimately, if you have a parent message them, tell them this, tell them that you love them and care of them. I have a great insight for you on, on why this is so impactful in one second. But the three things that I want you to do, if you're considering about expressing gratitude, the way that we do it is based off of Dr. Kelly McGonigal, a psych professor at Stanford. Um, she came up with this concept of the most powerful thank you, which is finding the benefit, which is like what good came to you from this person, acknowledging the effort by identifying what might have been challenging for them to help you and then spotting the strength. What do you see in this person that's good um, that you're thinking, right? So like an wow. example that I've written down before uh, would be like, thank you for the advice last week. It helped me break out of my shell and make positive changes in my life. That's finding the benefit. I know it's not easy to share your own personal experiences. That's acknowledging the effort. And I respect and appreciate your transparency and care. That's spotting the strength. Thank you. This concept by doing this and sending this message out to one person or two people in your life that you really care about. And I would really challenge you to do it to both of your parents if you have them. And then someone random, your friend from high school that you've even spoken to, a teacher that you haven't communicated with in a while, a mentor that really helped you, uh, a pastor or a rabbi that, that impacted you in your life. Like these types of messages really impact people. They change their whole day, their whole week, their, their whole month. You know, it's Thanksgiving And a client, Steph, messaged me the other day, like the most beautiful message that I've ever received in my life. And it was clearly using this framework um, and clearly that she had seen this framework from me. And it was I journaled about it for like 25 minutes about how important this is to me. And and this is why I run this business. And this is what I do this for. So I can impact people in this way for them to go out of their way to send me this message. And I think it's just really important. And here's kind of how skewed the world has become. And I think you all understand this. If you send this message to someone that you care about. The majority of the responses back right off the rip, either they send it to you or they think about it is, is something wrong? Mm -hmm. 
the world that we live in is so skewed on the concept of vulnerability and transparency because we have to be shielded, guarded, perfect, highlight reels at all time because we have to have a carefully curated social media presence that only showcases all the good things in life. So they know for sure that everything is going exactly as we had planned it. And I'm dealing with zero hardships because life is perfect. That when you send that message of gratitude and appreciation, they're going to say is something wrong. Are you OK? That should be a wake up call to everyone. It certainly is to me. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Guys, I hope when you're listening today that you'll take a moment and that you'll send your flowers and you can use the framework. I'm going to repeat it one more time. You find the benefit, acknowledge the effort and spot the strength. Um, That's awesome, Alex. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I want to talk about Ellie. I want to talk about you and Ellie and how I see you showing up as a father. Just some of your epiphanies, because you are a relatively young father in that it's only three years, right? But that's also to such a beautiful time of parenting because everything's new with the first one and you're diving in and you've got the tantrums and you're learning, okay, how do I handle these tantrums? And you're growing and learning all the time. But the best part is the absolute realization that you created a human being. You start to see their, their little unique personality coming out and distinct, like they're is a person there, a real no person. I don't know no. if you, for you, but for me, I just remember looking at my oldest Josiah when he was little. And I'm like, you are your own little human being. Because I think whenever I first started having kids, I thought of them as a clean slate. That's true to some extent, but they come as their own little person. Thousand percent nature versus nurture. Yes. And it's so fascinating to me. So talk to me about been experiencing as a father, especially in light of running business and uh, making sure that your life gives you time and ability to be the father that you want to be to him. I think the first thing just vulnerably is um, being okay with uh, imposter syndrome and being fulfilled too. You know, for a really long time, Steph, because I'm always a very vulnerable and open, open-minded person and just very open communicative you know, for a long time, when I would get close to someone um, in business pre Ellie being born, I would talk about, you know, how badly I want to be a dad because of the impending surgery I knew would happen. Again, I thought it would be a lot later, you know, because of what happened to my dad when I was younger. And, um, you know, now that he's here and we're three years in, you know, I'm so proud, honored, honestly, to like know how fulfilling it has been and how incredible it is. But on the same token, on the other side, is how disappointed is probably not the appropriate word, but it's what I'm using here. How disappointed I also am in terms of like not being perfect at it, even though I understand, of course, it's impossible to be perfect at it. You know, like having a child showcases all of your, you know, worst habits because they mirror you. And, uh, you know, I'm a very emotional person, so I could fly off the handle easily. I'm, you know, stressed easily. I'm impatient. And so like, these are things I really don't want for my child, but it's also like, I can't just flip a switch and change. So I think Uh giving myself grace and trying to be better is, is really what I'm learning. And, and uh, ultimately like understanding that, you know, it's, there's a season, but you know, Dr. William Mattaway, one of our mutual uh, friends and you know, he gave me the best piece of advice possible when Ellie was born, um, because probably six months in, I felt like, you know, I'm not doing it perfectly yet. Because I think anyone six months in would think that's like, oh, where's the manual? You know, like, I don't know anything. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, also, for you, for everyone listening, and I don't know if you know this stuff, but I'm the youngest of three boys. So I don't know anything about babies. I never had any babies in my life. And uh, so my wife also is the youngest of, of three. So we, we didn't have any experience at all to know what to prepare for. Um, and every day is new and amazing. And definitely right now is so exciting. The craziest thing that William said to me that was just so impactful was, do you know how a child spells love? And I was like, no, he said T-I-M-E. And man, it was really impactful six months in, but it's way more impactful three years later. Because now, you know, when Ellie comes home and he walks through my office door, he knows how to say, daddy, stop working. <laughs> he says that to me, it breaks me. It breaks me in half because I wish that I could sit here on this podcast on a sanctimonious level and be like, and you know what I do every time, Steph? I close my computer right away. It doesn't yeah. matter. And I go. But I don't do that every time. I sometimes tell them I need to finish this thing. Or I have to finish. I have a call to do. Or I have, and, you know, I feel bad about that, to be honest, but I know I'm doing my best, you know, and, yeah. and that's the, I really am doing my best. So um, and I want to keep trying to do better and strive for better. And that's why this mantra for me consistently is you know, give myself grace, but not a pass. And I, and I think that's key. And so it's been amazing understanding that that love language of time and giving him that time and watching my wife be in this incredible mom and watching our relationship blossom because of our child and just enjoying every moment with him. I mean, he's incredible. I mean, he yeah. he's incredible watching him grow and 
communicate and talk and the things that he loves. And it's funny because, you know, a lot of kids like the same things of dinosaurs and, you know, Spider-Man and excavators and Blippy and all these things. But it's so fun to just watch him be his own person. And so I have a lot of amazing stories I'm happy to share on anything you want. But yeah, he's just it's just the best. Okay, so would you agree with me that there's usually two reasons why we want to be that perfect parent? One reason is, I believe this is the biggest reason, is we want the best for our kids, right? And the second reason is it also reflects who we are and who we want to be. So it's a little bit about us too. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, But I think the predominant reason, would you agree, is because you want for him to have the best father, right? 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. So my thought here, and one of the revelations I've had personally, and you guys take this as you want, but um, you know, my youngest is 10, my oldest is 21. Gosh, it's so insane that I have a 21 year old. It still blows my mind. But one of the things that I've learned over all these decades of of parenting and and, and homeschooling, really, because it put me through the grinder, let me tell you what. Um, but the thing that I learned the most was this expectation that we need to be perfect actually creates an imperfect situation for our kids. And the Mm. reason why that is, is because our kids need to see us be real. They need to see us fail. They need to know that we're human because ultimately if we're perfect, then we tell them that they have to be perfect. And that's not good for kids. (laughs) That's not good for kids at all. And so a lot of times it's one of those things, like for me, I'm always having to remind myself, you know, whenever I do mess up, I got a 21 year old, like it just because I got a 21 year old doesn't mean I don't mess up just because someone has, you know, a child who's in their 30s doesn't mean they figured all parenting out because I don't think it's fully figure outable. I think we just get these guides, right? Because we're different, like, and our children, each one of our children is uniquely different. And they need uniquely different things as individuals. And then we go through seasons, they go through seasons, like, there is no rule book, where it's like, do this right now, all the time, it's going to work. And so because of that, the nature of it is kind of imperfection. Um, but in that, I feel like that's where love abounds, right? And and ultimately, connection and love is what makes humans happy. You can go to Aborigine, you know, tribes off, you know, in the poorest places on the earth, and they have genuine joy, genuine happiness. And it doesn't result because of materialistic things. It results from the life that they're living with each other. And so I think it's important for all of us to remember that. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because it's not, it, it's truly, truly not about being perfect. And if anything, if we were perfect, it's going to send the wrong message and expectation to our children that you too need to be perfect, especially if you cover up or whatever. But instead, like, hey, mom lost her temper. We all lose our temper sometimes. I'm really sorry I did that. Um, I don't really don't want to do that. And, but I hope you'll forgive me because I love you way more than how I just lost my temper right there. And, you know, being able to level that and like, that is true growth and teaching and giving them the opportunity to love us anyway, which teaches them about life and how to love people well, you know? So anyway, I think it's just so powerful and so real, the need and the draw to be perfect. And I think the opposite of that, there's some people who are like, I don't know, what do you expect? I'm not perfect. And they almost don't try. So it's like this flip-flop almost between like... Like an abandonment of your responsibility. It's it's weak. That's just a weak mindset. Yeah, it is crazy. There's a lot of people who go there and I think it's because they feel defeated by the situation. And so in order to secure and, and survive themselves, they have to callous up and just be like, hey, this is just who I am. Like, you're just gonna have to deal with it. But it's nah. so hard. But okay, so back to you and Ellie. And, and I have a question that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast. It's kind of a deep one, but I feel like you're, you're, we've already gone so deep. It's not going to be that, <laughs> that deep. But um, sure. what does it mean to Alex Slinsky to be a good father? Everything. You know, in terms of my identity, like how I perceive my myself, I think father is number one on the list. I genuinely think it is. You know, I've had a lot of conversations with uh, amazing dads and entrepreneurs and people. And there's a talk about like um, how important it is to be a great spouse in order to be a great parent. And I totally agree with that. So I never want to uh, uh, abscond my responsibility um, and honor of being, you know, the spouse to my amazing wife, Shira. But I also have a hard time with identifying like how to compartmentalize the love I have for my child. It's unlike anything mm-hmm. else, particularly due to the two experiences I had, you know, my personal health experience, literally while my wife was pregnant, which only ex- expanded upon that. It, yeah. And my father um, almost passing away. So I think um, it's hard for me to, 
to separate those things. You know, like uh, Steph, one of my life goals in terms of success is um, tranquility and spontaneity are two really important, like determining factors of my success ratio, essentially like happiness. And uh, tranquility is really hard for me as a human being, just like the way that I am and, and wired. And uh, anytime I do journaling on, you know, what, what needs, when was the last time I was tranquil? What was that? And and I keep coming back to times that I was with Ellie in a like transcendent or ethereal experience, like being on the beach with him and sitting and letting the waves crash up on us and just watching the world through his eyes, being at Disney, which is like the most untranquil place in the world, <laughs> watching his experience, like walking, watching Goofy walk by and like how important that is to him. And then remembering, you know, when I was a little kid and how important like athletes were to me and having my dad help me get access to those athletes. And I recall now why his experience was so great. He didn't care about the athlete. He cared about that I cared about the athlete. I don't care about Goofy. No offense, Goofy. I care that Ellie cares about Goofy. To me, it's everything. You know, like my entire well-being, satisfaction, happiness, fulfillment comes from being with him and spending time with him and my wife. And my love for my wife has grown so significantly watching her be an amazing mom. And watching my parents be amazing grandparents and my brothers being amazing uncles and my niece and nephew being amazing cousins and their in unbelievable depth of love for their cousin. When my brother has a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old and their depth of care and love for Ellie is so deep. I think they look at it as this exciting opportunity to be like, I'm the adult now. Oh yeah. Ned and seven and he's three. So I think that's just fun to like watch that too. And yeah, I mean, it's everything. It really is truly everything. You know, I'll tell you a quick story, Stefan, before we wrap here that I think is funny. I think I was a really naive uh, dreamer of what a, being a father was. To me, the being a father was the the five-year-old, I think. Like, he could talk, he can run, we could play, we could play catch, we could talk about football, we can watch sports together. <laughs> Baby's born and they're not like that for a while. <laughs> you know, you got to like, get them to that place. And the cool part about being a dad right now with Ellie about to be three is he's becoming that person that I was naively thinking he would be right away or not naively thinking he would be right away, but I, what I wanted him to be right away. And so he comes home and he, he wants to talk about, you know, his day and he wants to talk about soccer and he wants to play Frisbee and he loves watching the Miami dolphins like daddy does. And that is just the coolest thing in the whole world. And there's nothing better than that. And desperately i want another but <laughs> gotta wait a little but you know it's just it's the best you know it really is the best oh so good i love that you're talking about kind of what you thought parenting was going to be like because and, and that you're experiencing those things uh because i feel like and those who are listening please take inventory uh whenever you think back to whenever you were a kid and you pictured being a parent and you had this idea in your head of what that was going to look like and feel like and be like and what experiences you would have. Sometimes that's a really wonderful thing because, you know, it's important to have vision, but also too, it's really important to um, take inventory and reassess and make sure that you're not so married to that vision that you're blocking off who your child is showing you that they are or what they like. I think it's beautiful that you're in this awesome season. And there's been, you know, for some of my kids, parenting was exactly what I thought it was going to be in these, especially in these pockets of what I pictured. And then there are children that taught me that it was going to be what it was going to be, not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm better for it. And so are they like I grew, I learned, I, I learned how to love better because of my children. They taught me how to sacrifice my dream of what I think something needs to be for the reality and the beauty of what it actually is, which is such a transformative experience. And so I love that you're reflecting and you're, you're seeing that you did have those expectations and you're, you're actually living them and you're living in this gratitude of like, I have a son and we get to do these things. I just think it's so beautiful. And so for those of you listening, I hope that this is inspiring to you. I know we've we've talked about a lot of really deep things, but I hope that you'll take the time that you'll give the flowers, you'll you'll call your parents, um, that you'll take inventory of your expectations of what it looks like for you to be a parent that will all just take a moment from a page from Alex's book. You know, what does success really mean for us? 
and make the time to know what we want in life and to get the vision for that and to hold on to it. And so I want to segue into one thing that I feel like every single person needs to have in their house, which is the Anti-Hustlers Handbook. Alex put this book out last year and I've always respected Alex um, since he came into my life and I've just thought the world of him. And I knew he was going to put out a good book. But Alex, I have to say, you 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 didn't just put out a good book. Like, I really do believe that this book is going to become something that lasts. Like, it becomes one of those books like, okay, well, you need to have the Anti-Hustlers Handbook. And, you know, 10 years from now, people are going to be referring to it because of the work that you put into it. And it's not just a book. It's actually a workbook where you actually go in, you dive into these things. And so it's freaking phenomenal, if I do say so myself. So bravo, Alex. Can you Thank tell you. everybody where they can get a copy of the book? Yeah, you can find it on Amazon. Super easy. Anti-Hustlers Handbook. If you search it on, on Amazon, you'll be able to see it. And also, I have a free chapter as well, like a preview that everyone can check out. The free chapter is is literally perfect for this podcast, too, because... The way that the book is set up is that it breaks down the wheel of life into an anti-hustler's wheel of life. And so there's eight sections, including like awareness and recognition, focus and prioritization, spending and saving money. But one of them is personal relationships and boundaries. And it's all about, uh, you know, making sure that you are prioritizing the people that you love and care about the most. And so I have a chapter at antihustlehandbook.com slash free dash chapter. If you go to antihustlehandbook.com, you'll find it. And it talks to you about how to discover the why behind what really matters to you in your personal relationships, how to reprioritize them, how to understand what actions are needed to be taken to showcase to those people that you care and love them. Um, and it's not just for only your children. It's for also your loved ones and for yourself too. Don't even forget also yourself because you can't show up amazing as a parent or a spouse or a son or a daughter if you're not showing up for yourself. And if you sacrifice Mm. everything about yourself for everyone else, you'll never get there. So would love for you to read it. Um, but also just know this, if you do read it, I wrote that book for me as much as anyone else. I don't live it perfectly. I am definitely not anti-hustling at all times. I'm definitely not um, some guru that has it all figured out. I just understand what I want it to be. And again, I always say it's easier to be the personal trainee than it is to be the personal trainer or excuse me, the opposite, but it's a lot easier to say you know, run five miles than it is, you know, to run five miles. Frankly, it was a lot easier to write the book, which was not easy at all and very challenging, but it was a lot easier to write it than it is to do everything that it says. And it's okay to admit that um, because you don't have to be perfect. Filling the cup and doing one of the eight things will make a huge difference in your life. Dude, and that is powerful. Just to swing it all back around about powerful parenting. It's not about being perfect. It's about showing up powerfully. And your book is a gateway to that. And so everybody, we're going to put that in the show notes. So if you didn't catch that URL, no worries. Just pop over to the link on this podcast. You can go to the show notes and you can grab that. We'll also have other links that might've been mentioned in this podcast as well. So um, guys, wasn't that amazing? If you enjoy this podcast, please screenshot it, share it on social media and tag Alex, tag myself. If you are having trouble with Schlinsky, <laughs> it's S-C-H-L-I-N-S-K-Y, but tag him, tag me and let us know that you enjoyed it or leave a review on the podcast. Uh, I just really appreciate you, Alex, so much. Thank you for being who you are and showing up how you do in this world because it's extremely powerful and I know you're impacting lives all over the world. And so thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Talk to you later. I truly hope you enjoyed our episode today on the Powerful Parenting Journey podcast. Make sure to hit follow and subscribe so that you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. You're not going to want to miss a thing. I promise. If you were impacted by this episode, do me a favor and leave a review with a comment. I read every one of them and I also pass them along to our guests. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links at powerfulparenting.com forward slash podcast. If you want to see more behind the scenes with me and my guests, be sure to find me on Instagram or Facebook. It's where we can have deeper conversations on these podcasts. Take care. And remember, it's not about being a perfect parent. It's about taking each day and working on showing up powerfully for our kids. They deserve it, and you are the parent for the job. See you on the next episode.